Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Oh, I'm ready for the weekend. I need to rest. I need to rest my poor voice. <laughs> I was talking to a couple different people, um, and they were pointing out how, well, telemedicine is what I'm doing. And they're saying, you know, listen, when you're seeing people, you know, patients face-to-face in your office, uh, you just talk normal volume, but uh, doing things via FaceTime, Zoom, the phone, projecting, a lot of projecting, and then doing the radio. So uh, I'm going to be giving myself silence for two days straight. I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm going to be turning my phone off. I'm going to be unavailable for two days, just going to rest. And as I always say, do self-care, joy, pleasure, and total rest. Kind of heal up because I'm, I'm, I'm getting exhausted and I got to do the work that I always tell everyone else to do. You got to push back on uh, your accessibility. Give, give people nose, set some boundaries, and just really kind of prioritize your mental and physical health. So I, I say that to inspire all of you and to model sometimes what that's got to look like. So for those that can do that and to the best that you can do that, you got to do it. Um, strange times right now. Every time I turn on the news, when I wake up in the morning, I say, now what? <laughs> God bless. Uh, still sending out love to everyone down in Texas. I, uh, my heart hurts for the struggle that they've been going through for what feels now almost like weeks. Um, but, uh, let's look at some interesting stuff going on in the news. It's never dull. So this we reported on, we actually had, um, uh, excuse me, my phone's freaking out. All right, so we had Ian Jenkins. He's a doctor down in San Diego, and he's part of a throuple. It's a three-person relationship. Uh, all of them are in the relationship together, committed, and uh, had him on. He was on Loveline, and we were talking about a book that he put out, talking about what it's like for the throuple to raise a child, which, you know, this is an example of how love isn't just in twos. There's more than couples. Uh, and we're gonna get to, we're gonna have to get familiar with that legally, socially, where sometimes more than two people fall in love. Why would that not be the case? And everyone gets to have their love honored and validated. And the whole story was this is what it's like being in this relationship and raising a child, and they've all been together for years and very happy. Ah, good news. Um, this came out days ago, and I've been waiting to report on this that all three members of the gay throuple are now on their child's birth certificates, as it should be. All three are the father. You know. People should not have to squeeze into laws and institutions. Institutions, laws, and norms should meet the needs of people and evolve as what we do and how our lives are lived evolve. And uh, all three of them are the father. They, you know, they shouldn't have to leave one out and only pick two. I love that. So you could see the emotion. This is a quote. You could see the emotion on the judge's face when she agreed to let all three dads be named on the baby's birth certificate. 
which is a first in California. And I'm glad that this is setting a precedent because all three are together raising the child and all three should be on there. So congratulations to them and congratulations to all the families that are now going to be honored as well. And I hope it inspires people to just follow where their heart is. Um, uh, so that's the upside. Now let's look at some of the downside because <laughs> every time we make some gains with normalizing the rights of anyone who's marginalized and exploited and Hey, the LGBTQIA community is consistently marginalized and exploited. And, um, here's another example. So, uh, so many ads are out there now that are featuring same sexed couples. So thankful for that because there's going to be, you know, people looking at that and it's going to normalize, validate, and also just start important conversations. So conservatives, of course, you know, I'm always upset about something. They started a petition to ban an ad for um, a cream egg. <laughs> I never understood how people eat those things. Those like chocolate eggs with the cream inside. Oh, gross. Nonetheless, it features a gay kiss. Y'all, why are we scared of kisses? Straight people kiss all the time on TV ads, commercials, and movies. No one's worried about that. Why can't other forms of love be shown and expressed? So, uh, you know... Own your homophobia. I think I'd almost rather value if it just was come, if people came forward and said that, right? Um, and they try to make it all sorts of other things when they try to talk about why it's inappropriate. And they don't just come forward and say that. But nonetheless, gay people exist and they have a right to exist and they have a right to demonstrate their love publicly and openly. So um, I love all the ads. I mean, we were talking about Doritos doing an ad, Hallmark movies. I mean, it, it, it's endless and uh, you can't stop that. You can't stop truth. So I'm happy that's happening. Um, also sadly, we're seeing rates rise in domestic violence. Uh, you know, uh, that's why I keep telling everyone we got to let things go. We got to turn down the volume to our responses to things and not amplify. Everything's feeling a little overwhelmed or hyper stressed. So I just say that, but more importantly, uh, please look out for your loved ones and friends and support them. Not everyone has a safe space to go to get out of a domestic violence situation or something else that's problematic. So check in on your friends, uh, call things out when you see it, uh, offer resources and support. And if you are worried about something, call it out. That might be what saves a friend or loved one. They might be afraid to voice it or bring it forward. So we got to look out for each other. We are responsible for those around us, 100%. It's not just you worrying about your side of the street or your family. No, you, you are responsible for your neighbor and your friends and your family members. So if you see something, please step in and address it. We have to be doing that because there's a lot of problematic things that are starting to happen, including if maybe you see a friend who's maybe starting a problematic relationship with drugs or alcohol during this time, bring it up lovingly, non-accusatorily. You know, how are you? How's that going? You know, let me, you know, point out what you've noticed. We gotta be looking out for each other. I want us to not come out of this as bruised up if we don't have to, right? All right, so we got a great show planned for you. We're gonna be spending the night talking about breakups. How do we get through them and why are they so painful? Now, of course, this is relevant to anyone who's going to at some point get into a relationship or is currently in one. Even if it's not going to end, there's still a lot in that topic for everyone to learn something. And then, of course, we'll be doing some DMs. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All righty, we're back in uh, talking about breakups. Oh man, there's so much to this. And uh, as we learn more about interpersonal neurobiology, we start to have a better understanding as to why breakups are so hard, they're so painful. Um, I think sometimes they also get downplayed. People say, oh God, you know, let it go, get over it. They weren't that good for you. Not understanding again that there's a literal neurobiological process that happens when we form a true attached relationship with someone. And then also what occurs when 
we exit a relationship. So what's really important to understand is that it's not just about the length of time that you've been with someone. <clears throat> and uh, we will get to how to better handle and manage and get through a breakthrough. I'm sorry, a breakthrough, a breakup. <laughs> but that's the point. A breakup gets to be a breakthrough and we'll get to that. But before we get there, I want people to understand what happens within a relationship. So we talk a lot and you'll hear more especially for people that are psychology junkies, you'll hear people talking about attachment theory. So attachment theory is pretty powerful and there's a, a lot of um, really deep neuro research put into it. So I'm gonna kind of give you the broad strokes. Based on our early relationships, it sets us up to have an internal working model as to what we can manage within relationships. We are uh, set up for somewhat of a determined relational style and also it helps impact the perspective we have on how safe and what we can expect from others within relationships. Now, it is not uh, as deterministic as how our parents are and how they raise us impacts exactly how we'll be as an adult. I'm glad for that. There's, there's a plasticity and a flexibility in that. Every relationship we're in will reinforce or weaken and undo what might have been set forth in our early relationships with our parents. That's a blessing and a curse. If we continually have really healthy, securely attached relationships, well, thank God we can heal. If we continually though have the opposite, it really does damage. You know how they say what, do, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? That's not the truth in terms of psychology. What doesn't kill you leaves traumatic results and can negatively impact you for the rest of your life if you don't do the work. So remember, we have an internal working model that is not conscious, although it can be made conscious when you're asked, well, what do you think about the idea of dating? How does it feel to date? Do you think dating is something that's safe, that feels good? What kind of hope do you hold? And, and you can hear when someone talks about, you know, what they believe as they're getting on a dating app or what they, their thoughts about love, that's all determined by their early relationship with their parents, but also their relationship with friends and their relationships with social media and also the ones they've been in directly. And that's why I say over and over, please take seriously the impact you have on others when you're dating them or having any kind of romantic encounter with them because you're either leaving them better off thinking, oh, wow, dating does feel good. You know, relationships are something that can be nourishing or the opposite. You're reminding them, that's right. People aren't good. I can't trust people. Relationships aren't safe, blah, 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 blah. Take that seriously. And I get so frustrated when I hear people downplay the impact of engagements just on apps. Like, oh, don't take it seriously, it's just an app. No, take it seriously. That is a human being on the receiving end. Every human being deserves care, compassion, and empathy, always. Why, why do you not think that that is necessary while on an app? Why is it okay to be dehumanizing and harsh and, and, and further traumatize someone using an app? Like you, the person saying that, shouldn't be on an app. You are unsafe to be engaged with because you don't take seriously the responsibility of your impact on other people. You know, that's a red flag. Please take these things seriously. I want us to have more care and compassion. So remember, we can change and, 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 and heal and improve whatever might have happened in our past. Um, it's, not, it's not as uh, deterministic as people used to think it is, right? There's so many important factors. And that's why I talk to people about, you know, the way their friends talk about love, sex, and dating, and the way the media they watch does, because we internalize all of that. You know, when we're watching these shows, right, that support really bad behaviors, we're internalizing that. 
for following social media where people are enacting in really forms of uh, really problematic forms of dating and toxic monogamy and poor boundaries. It normalizes that. I want us to normalize care and compassion. I want us to normalize really ethically dating where we care about how we impact others and we don't ghost. We let people know that we're no longer interested. And if we're interested, we show signs of interest and we take seriously the responsibility of bringing someone into our lives and us being brought into their life. And that's why I say over and over, take it seriously. When someone brings you into their life, what are you bringing in? Have you done the healing work that's necessary? Do you have a lot of work to do? So when we go through the early stages of dating, what we're trying to do is attach usually And what that means is our brains literally wire together. Our nervous systems wire together. We are separated only by skin. Our brain is a social organ developed and maintained through socialization of all kinds. And so when we develop a romantic relationship, we're using what we call attachment-based behaviors to attach. And that's what comes with affection and time together and closeness. Now, the two most important parts of forming a truly healthy, attached, secure relationship, those are all synonymous words, secure, healthy, attached. So I'm going to use those words interchangeably. The two main components are being consistent and reliable. If you want to form a secure, healthy, attached relationship with someone, you need to be consistent and reliable and vice versa. If someone is not being consistent or reliable with you, it's either A, they are not securely attached in their dating relational style, or B, they don't want that with you. They want something more casual, something more avoidant. So it's important to realize what is this person capable of and what do they want? And that is often shown by whether or not they're engaging in consistent and reliable behavior. And it shouldn't be, dating shouldn't be about crying and fighting and demanding that they're more consistent or reliable. It should be about realizing that they're not, they don't want to be, or they can't be, and then moving on because that person just isn't compatible for you. Unfortunately, no matter how hot you think they are, no matter how great you think it'd be to be with them, it's important to realize and look at who this person is. A lot of people spend their time trying to change and battle and make this person want something else or be something else. We shouldn't do that. If the person wants to try to learn secure, earned attachment, that's great. They can practice more reliability and consistency, but it's really about assessing who this person is and looking at what's possible and what it would be like to be with them. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about the science of relationships, but more importantly about breakups and we'll be getting to uh, how do we best get through them? It's one of the more painful things we'll go through, truly. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Oh, right. We're back talking about a few topics that intertwine. We're talking about breakups. Uh, but before we really dive into how do we get through a breakup, we're kind of talking about the concept of why breakups are so difficult. And we're exploring what occurs when we form a true connected attached relationship. Now, remember, like all the topics I bring up on Loveline, they're always translatable into other uh, situations or scenarios. And what I mean by that is when we're talking about ways to get through a breakup, we are also talking about ways to grieve and mourn the loss and get through, um, various relational losses when someone maybe passes or leaves us or whatever it is. So these are very generalizable skills and it all applies to all relationships, whether they're romantic or not. Um, although we're specifically looking at the romantic ones and we're talking about how everyone has a different relational style, um, and it's based on what we're calling attachment theory. And that's something that's initially rooted in our early relationships with our parents, but that's not, that's not it. And that's a good thing. 
It's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because every relationship that comes after that can heal us, or the bad thing is it can continue to reinforce. <clears throat> Everyone has a different relational style. They're either secure, they're anxious, or they're avoidant. Now, we can be, uh, well, before I get to that point, let me just say that there's more than that, but we collapse them down generally into those three. So people will find traits in and out of that, but that, those are the general three. And those words kind of explain what they are. Secure means um, what we'd call optimal and healthy, and then there's anxious, which is having constant anxiety and fear. Um, uh, that'd be someone who has a lot of jealousy, feeling threatened by their absence, wondering what they're doing, feeling the need to constantly get reassurance. And then avoidant is someone who's not as available. Now, here's the distinction that isn't always made. When we talk about an avoidant relational style, that doesn't mean someone who's not interested. If they're being avoidant because they're not interested, that's rooted in they're not into you. They're just not that into you. When I say avoidant in the context of people being secure, anxious, or avoidant, I'm talking about they are interested, they just relate in an avoidant way. They lean out versus leaning in. But if you ask them if they were interested in that person they're dating, they'd say, absolutely but yet they're not the type that's calling you every day, that's building a lot of intimacy or a lot of closeness because the way that they've been socialized and the relationships that they've been a part of, it has created a, a dynamic in which it's made them a little avoidant. They haven't always been healthy or safe or secure, and so they lean out a little bit, but they are interested, but it doesn't always feel that way. That is different than someone who's just not that interested and, and, and they're acting appropriately because they're not interested and should not act any different because they're not interested. And the other person needs to realize they're not that interested. That's different, right? So again, we're talking about in the context of people who are interested that they can be secure, they can be anxious, they can be avoidant, and secure is built with consistency and reliability. So seek that, want that, look for that, and that's a sign. Okay, now the reason why breakups are so painful is because we literally are, as we said, wiring together. And a breakup is the breaking apart of those neurological connections. We are impacted by others. When they say things like, oh, people can't make you feel a certain way. Yes, they can, as evidenced by interpersonal neurobiological research, that we are impacted by them. That's a sign we've attached. It's called empathy, it's called mirror neurons, it's called attachment theory. Our nervous systems and our brains wire together. We're only separated by skin. That's actually healthy. And some people misappropriate label some of these things as love addict or codependent. No, it's healthy relationship. It's just some people are anxious and so they're very clingy. Some people are avoidant because relationships haven't been safe and so they are a little afraid and lean back and are a little cautious and others are game on. They've had a lot of secure, safe relationships. They have no reasons to ever feel threatened or worried. So they're very secure. And someone being that secure can make someone who's anxious really anxious. <clears throat> they, they, Because the secure person isn't feeling like they need to go out of their way to make you feel wanted. They assume, of course you would think you are. Um, now remember, when we go through a breakup, it's not just the biological piece, it's also a, an identity shift, where when we go through a breakup, we're going from an us and a we to just an I, right? So we're different in the world, we're no longer part of a relationship. There's also the psychological shifts, right? Where I'm now more on my own, we tend to thrive and do better when we're in relationship with someone. Um, that's why I love relationships. I do better and thrive when I'm in them, which is the whole point and purpose of them. We have support, care, companion, right? And again, using attachment language, we have a secure base, right? We have a secure, we have a secure relationship from which to go out into the world and feel confident, and we have a safe harbor to come back to, right? And that's what makes us more robust. I definitely feel more fragile and flimsy when I'm on my own, as we should, because you are 
right? And that's why we have friends and family members. Relationships hold us up. Um, there's also a social shift where we're seen different. People treat us differently. We have to tell people we broke up. And then as we're talked about extensively, the biological piece. So a breakup is not just, oh, get over it. That person's gone. No, we have to go through the identity change of now we're single. We have to go the psychological work of we've lost a support, someone to go off into the world and do things with, someone to mirror back our worth and desirability. We've lost some of the socialization because we went out into the world and did things together and maybe had mutual interests. And then the biological shift. My nervous system, my brain are now separating away from this person, right? And also there's the psychological piece of the future. I had a dream that I thought we were working towards and now that whole dream has been disrupted. I now can't count on getting married this year or buying that home together or whatever it is we did. Maybe all the trips we had planned are canceled or all the things we hoped for are now in question. So that's a lot of shift and change. And that's why breakups are so hard. Uh, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna slide into some DMs, but when we come back afterwards, we're gonna talk about how to best get through a breakup. So stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, hope you've been enjoying our week-long programming special to raise awareness of discrimination against black transgender women. That's right, the series in partnership with Project Fierce, which is set up by uh, transgender rights advocate and actress Angelica Ross, along with music producer Anthony Preston of A2 Music Productions. To commemorate Black History Month, we've been all week long trying to start conversations and raise awareness, like I said, about the uh, violence oppression against transgender women, black transgender women especially, they're the highest rates of violence and oppression and also murder. It's heartbreaking, there's a lot we can do. We've been covering that all week. Um, so I hope you all been enjoying that. And as always, it is time now to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, all right, this one, here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. I got into a huge argument with my mom because I felt like she wasn't defending me. Interesting. We went to our relative's house and the relative said a negative comment about my social media and how I changed my hair and my wardrobe. Let me just pause right there and say, don't comment on people's appearances, period. Like no one needs to know your thoughts about them changing their hair or the wardrobe. Seriously, they don't. Because usually when we're saying that, we're saying we don't like it, we want you to change back. But like we're not doing it for you and we don't need to know that you don't like it. I even, I even say that about some of my posts. If you don't like some things I'm posting, keep swiping. You don't have to sh weigh in on everything critically, like my God. And please don't think that it's a sign of mental health to say I speak what's on my mind, I just tell it like it is. That's actually not mentally healthy. Have a filter. Mental health is understanding the impact you're having on other people. Mental health is being regulated enough to have boundaries and not just spout out criticism. You know what I mean? So like reel that in because what happens is you make yourself unsafe to be around. And I hope you don't want people to stop being around you because you don't have boundaries. It's about boundarylessness and also a lack of compassion. So if you have nothing nice to say, yeah, keep your mouth shut unless it's an injustice and then get loud as hell, flip tables, stand up for people and violence and oppression. But otherwise, if you're just disappointed, frustrated, or don't agree, Keep your mouth shut, truly. It's a form of self-regulation. It'll get you far relationally. Anywho, my mom just sat there and let my relative talk trash to me until I literally just left. I guess it would have been nice if your mom defended you, but I don't wanna go so hard on her. I don't know her relationship to this relative. I don't know what else is going on, in, going on in your mom's day. And it's not your mom's job to do that. It would have been nice. And you can lovingly say like, hey, this is what I want you to say. Hey, it kind of bummed me out. I was hoping you would have stepped in. Can we talk about why you didn't? Or can, can I ask you in the future to step in? Like, it, it doesn't have to be a, ru a relational ruiner. Like, just go with some curiosity. Like, you were disappointed, but no injustice occurred, right? 
Um, my mom said she was stuck between the relative and me, but I'm her daughter. Can I create boundaries with my relative and my mom? You don't need to create boundaries with your mom. You need to create boundaries with the relative. And next time you see them, you need to say, Hey, listen, I want to lovingly ask you to not comment or critique on my appearance. And if you do, I'd ask you to just then stay off my social media because it might not be for you then. But I want you to go easy on your mom. It, it's not her job to be nice if she did, but she told you I felt anxious. It was, a, it was a situation of me being triangulated in a way I wasn't comfortable with. That's her boundary. You have to honor your mom's boundary. She's saying I'm not getting involved. So that's about your boundaries. You have to, you have to honor your mom's boundary. You don't have the best boundaries with your mom, right? Like she, she didn't do an injustice. She bummed you out and disappointed you. Deal with that a little better, right? We have to be a little better with disappointment. Like let it go, you know, but have that conversation saying, Hey, I want to learn more about that. I, I was kind of bummed you didn't step in. And if your mom's like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. Well then, okay. You then handle your own boundaries with this relative. And if they're not willing to honor that, well then your boundary might be that you're not around to them, but it's not your mom's job to manage and do that work for you. You have to talk to this relative. I want people to have a, what we call a one-to-one -one relationship. If you have an issue with someone, you go speak to them. You don't bring in a third, your mom, to manage and deal with it for you. Like you're an adult, manage your relationships because that's a skill you're gonna have to have for all the relationships in your life. We're not going around to other people. Go head on to your relative. Hey, I need to talk about what you said last time I saw you. It really hurt my feelings. How can we not have that happen again? where I'm calm, notice we're not judging, we're not name calling, that's the healthy use of boundaries. And we gotta get better about it. We sling some of these words around, like we know what they all mean, but we, we tend to not. And so heal that with your mom. She said her boundary, do the repair work around that and you go deal with your relative, okay? All right, coming up next, we're gonna continue talking about breakups because they are painful, they are hard. What are they, why, how to best manage and get through? It's tough stuff, but it's really about a form of grief and loss. So we're going to talk about mourning, essentially. So stick around for that, uh, and then we'll be closing out with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and we're spending tonight's show talking about breakups. There's, there's so much to it. And that's why I'm glad we're spending the night talking about it because I think a lot of people really reduce it down to, oh, well, you know, you were dating someone, you were married and it ended. Get over it, move on, there's more ahead. Sure, maybe. But I also want people to understand the social, psychological, and biological impacts of what they've just had removed or stepped away from. It is a big deal because of all those different layers and levels that now are being challenged, dismantled, disrupted, and it leaves us with a lot of lack. Well, who am I now? Because a lot of people got very confident in being part of that relationship or part of that marriage. Well, who am I now as a single person? And there's a beauty in that, but that beauty comes after. First, we have to mourn the loss. And you know, we misuse the stages of grief and loss. That was never written for the grieving person, for the person who's lost someone or something. That was written about people that were dying. And so, it's not about people who are, again, going through a loss. It's quite the opposite. And so that needs to be corrected. And also the understanding that there, there aren't necessary stages. Those are some possible stages for people that are dying. And yes, some people that go, for grief, some people that go through grief and loss will experience some of that, but it's not necessary to go through all of that. Those stages are not ones that we will go through in that order. It is not a straight line of, oh, we've gotten through that, now we're getting through that. No, it's circular. Some of them will stay in longer. Some of them will never encounter. There's no right way to mourn or grieve a loss. And a breakup is a loss. A loss of, again, your social identity, 
a loss of the psychology of partnership and a loss of the biological connection that we had. There's a lot in there and there's a lot more. There's financial loss. Who are you financially without the support of that person, right? The, uh, the dreams change. There's a lot in there. It's not as simple and as easy as just go through those stages and you'll be fine. Now, it's also interesting about <clears throat> mourning or grieving the loss of a relationship is it's what we call an ambiguous loss because the person isn't gone. They're just not any longer part of a relationship in a relationship with you. They haven't died. They haven't gone missing. They're no longer with you. And that's what we call an, agree, uh, an ambiguous loss because it's a loss without some finality and it's a loss often without closure. But more importantly, <clears throat> because few of us get closure, closure is this myth. You don't need closure. And a lot of people trying to get closure is sadly I have to say this. It's hard to hear. Sometimes it's not them honoring the boundary that the other person has set. If someone's broken up with you and moved on, you have to honor that. That's a boundary. And to continue to reach out demanding explanation or closure is not appropriate or fair. And you're not honoring boundaries. That becomes work you have to do on your own. I wish when someone ended a relationship or broke up with us that they would let us know maybe why. But at the same time, I don't know that that's necessary because that doesn't mean that that would matter for your next relationship. And if we've chosen to break up with someone, that doesn't mean that we don't also grieve or mourn that loss. Because in healthy relationships, we leave when we realize it's not working. It's not always us leaving because something bad happened or that person's a bad person. And that's why we talk a lot about being friends with our exes and leaving lovingly. Leave when you realize it's not working. Don't wait for something heinous to happen and you hate each other. And so even breaking up with someone is to go through the stages of grieving a loss. And you have a right to that. And it will take as long as it takes. Don't let anyone take that away from you. But without that closure and the fact that there's still in existence, ambiguous loss is about someone being gone but still being here because we're aware that they're here. We might still see them. Maybe we do actively still see them. They're not absolutely gone, but they're not absolutely here either. And so there's still a psychological presence or a physical presence, right? And that makes it really, really, really hard. And so we have to learn resilience and healthy adaptions based on that, right? And a lot of mourning the grief and loss. And we'll get to some of the steps, but I just want to generalize and say that we're going to have to have patience and we're going to have to go through this process, right? And we're going to have to have some flexibility in tolerating some of that ambiguity. But closure is definitely a myth. It's not needed. And the pain doesn't need to be eliminated. And that's what we're often trying to do. Sometimes we're pushing on boundaries and still connecting or reaching out because we still want to be a part of their life and we're not honoring that it's over. Or we're trying to convince them to come back. And we definitely don't want to do that, right? But we have to honor and allow the pain. We don't wanna just focus on getting rid of it at all costs, which is very American. If we feel something painful or bad, pop a pill or do something to get rid of it versus sitting in it, learning to be with it, learning from it, asking what it wants, right? And so we don't wanna necessarily just try to master and get over it. It's about learning how to be with our grief. Because some people think that grief is only associated with death, right? And that can be really powerful when we have a death, but it's not exclusively about that. Um, so any loss will create grief. And we talk about that even in the context of like celebrities or people we don't know well. We might have psychologically had a really long-standing, deep relationship with them. And that's what we're noticing or feeling or impacted by. It's not necessarily that we had our own direct relationship. Don't, leave, don't let people minimize and don't let people 
illegitimize. But again, I wrap this up uh, because coming up next, we're going to talk about the stages and uh, not the stages, the steps to get through that separation of going from an us and a we to an I and a me. So stick around for that. But I want to remind everyone that this is why I keep saying, if you're the one who ends the relationship, please do it lovingly and ethically so that the person can be in the best position to go through the grief and loss process of getting through a breakup, which means being forward about it. When you break up with someone, use that word, break up. Don't, don't use cliffhangers like not a good time or whatever it is, if that's not true. Don't say, I still want to be friends, if that's not true. Be direct and honest. Something like, hey, it's been great hanging out. Unfortunately, the chemistry isn't there. Or if it's a longer-term relationship, we need to sit down and talk because this isn't working for me anymore. But be direct. Be honest. Use the correct words that they know that that's what's happening. Please don't just ghost, and please just don't make up a story because people might hang on that. And the ghosting, they're just immediate absence is very distressing. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, steps we can take to better manage and get through a breakup. You listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, again, we're talking about how to deal with the grief and loss of going through a breakup. And we've been spending the night kind of talking about why it is that relationships feel as hard as they are when they break apart and how it truly is about going through feelings and experiences of grief and loss, right? Because of all the different things that you're grieving and have lost, our social identity, our psychology, our emotionality, our support, um, and even the dreams and goals that we were building or thought we were building or thought we were gonna have with this individual. We have to mourn the loss of all that. <clears throat> now, for some people, the breakup is a time of celebration. Always remember, and I'll keep reminding you all this, that uh, the success of a relationship is not determined by the length of time that it lasts. It is healthy to leave relationships. A lot of the time it's a celebration when a relationship ends because you're realizing that we're maybe not the most compatible or it's run its course. People grow and change. We don't always grow and change in a synchronized way where our compatibility and chemistry always exists long-term. Sometimes we drift apart and that's okay. Healthy relationships end when they need to. So again, the health of a relationship is more determined by how healthy was it? Did you leave when you needed to leave and what kind of partner were you? That's what made it a success, not the length of time. So a relationship ending, does not mean, oh yeah, you know, that was a failure. No, I, I left when it, when it needed to be over. And it's important to really remind yourself that that is, that's not a, 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 a positive thinking. That's truth. So when people talk about having been in multiple relationships, good. This is a sign that they value relationship, that they take care of themselves and they leave when the love is no longer there, you know? And uh, as always, we're trying to do the best we can to leave lovingly so that care can exist and we can maybe be friends just because romantically or sexually we're not compatible or meant to be together doesn't mean we can't maintain a friendship and uh if we you know own co co-parent a, a child or a pet you know we're going to be together for a length of time so how do we heal after a breakup right because that pain is a sign of how much love there was right and there's a lot of beauty in that but there are some things we can do to make the breakup a little bit more of a healing journey so we do want to remember again, don't think in terms of success or failure. A lot of us go there immediately. So just try to stay out of thinking in terms of success or failure. It's not about that. It's about just realizing what needs to be and what is. Also, <clears throat> we're usually really good about this, the physical separation where you know we're no longer living together, seeing each other, but we often fail <laughs> with the psychological separation. So you don't want to do a lot of creeping and that's a struggle. You don't want to do that. You want to fully let go. And that's going to mean leaving the relationship psychologically as well as physically because 
constantly looking at their social media and constantly talking about them is a way to keep them present psychologically. And you're not allowing yourself to actually go through the breakup. You're still keeping them there. You're still in it. Remember that you're still in it. If psychologically you're keeping them present, you're bringing them back in. So if you're still in pain after a breakup, don't go looking on their social media. It keeps them still psychologically very present. And that's hard for a lot of people. They want to look, they want to track, they want to see what they're doing. Don't do that. Because what winds up happening is you compare or you misinterpret what's going on. Some people will start posting pics of them thriving, dating again. And that's not necessarily even honest to what's going on for them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing that for the right reasons or that they're even happy because they're dating again. Some people do that to deal with the lo- your loss, the loss of not being with you anymore. So we can't retroactively redefine what we had because maybe they're doing well now or seeing someone else as though the love wasn't real. The relationship was more problematic than we thought. No, that's not true. This might be a temporary way that they're trying to work through, but the best thing is stay off their social media. If that means you have to block them and unfollow them, then my God do that because your mental health matters way more than keeping up with them. And it doesn't matter what they might think or how they might interpret you setting that boundary by unfollowing or blocking you doing what you need to do. We're we're disengaging from considering them in those moments, right? Also, we have to feel the pain. We have to go through it. We're not trying to block it out. We're not trying to make it go away at all costs. You're wounded. And we have to treat those emotional wounds with the same respect we would treat our physical wounds, right? Because we overly honor physical wounds because we can see it. It's, It's concrete. But we don't always honor psychological emotional wounds. But that's real. Right? So ask for what you need and honor that you have an injury. You, you've been injured. It's just more of a neurobiopsychological injury. You're going through grief and loss. That's real. And we don't know how long that's going to take. That's individually determined. People ask me that. How long will this take? I don't know. And it's often circular. You know, memory means we will be reminded. We will be reminded. Anything associative will remind us of our ex. And that will bring with it some feelings. That is how the brain works. That is not a sign that you're not healing. That's a sign that you remember. We will always remember. It's just knowing that there will be times when those memories might not hurt as much and at some point might not hurt at all, right? But we can't be afraid of that. We have to go into it. We have to feel what we have to feel. Don't just say I have to get rid of it at all costs, no matter what. Also, that's a time while we're going through the breakup to really, really, really prioritize and focus on self-care. You want to focus on nourishing, healing activities, right? The things that make us feel restored, Make, make us feel better, not make us feel worse. People can lean on the partying, the drinking, the drug use. That's not restorative. That's not self-care. That's distraction. That's trying to cope, but it's going to fail us because often that will actually amplify the bad feelings. If we start drinking or using drugs while feeling bad, it will often amplify feeling bad. And so instead we have to just feel it. If we drink or use drugs while feeling good, most likely to amplify the positive. So when you're struggling, you want to do restorative self-care things. That's looking at eating nourishing foods getting enough sleep, moving your body, still socializing and going out into the world. Self-care is often misunderstood and doesn't include doing things that deplete you. And again, I'm talking about the drinking and some of the food and other choices. It depletes you. It makes you feel worse. We need to feel our best, the most grounded in these times, not block it out and distract at all costs, which is where a lot of our, our minds go. <laughs> Understandably, we've been trained to think if it's pain, I feel bad, avoid it at all costs. But we have to learn how to go in. This is part of being in the world, a relational human being in the world. So we have to get more familiar with this because again, this is the work that comes from being in all relationships that might leave us. Friendships end, right? Uh, Relationships because of people we were with due to a job, 
right? So we have to get familiar with this. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about what are the keys to healing <clears throat> after a breakup. And then uh, we'll be closing out by sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're closing out the show before we fully close out with some DMs by finishing up our discussion on how do we heal after a breakup? And again, these are applicable skills to any grief or loss, right? The ending of a friendship, uh, separating from a parent, death of a loved one, talking about not thinking in terms of success or failure, but talking about what kind of partner was I, right? Was this a good relationship? Also staying off their social media and not talking about them constantly because that's a way to actually not keep going through the process of breaking up. It's keeping them psychologically and emotionally still present and connected. We want to not do that. It's hard though. We want to make sure we're not avoiding the pain and feelings. We have to feel it. And that's why we're doing a lot of self-care, right? We're not trying to do things that deplete us or make us feel worse. We're focusing on things that make us feel better, right? And then we also have to learn from it. You know, one of the gifts of the ending of a relationship is to learn about who we can be and who we want to be, right? Prior relationships can help us see patterns and also learn about some capacities we have. And looking back at our flaws is how we learn to be better next time. What parts of myself do I want to bring forward and what parts of myself do I not want to bring forward? Who was I as a partner? How can I do better? What parts of myself do I never want to bring into someone else's life? Because again, we're talking about how every time we're in a relationship with someone, we're bringing our stuff in. We want to be, we want to make people's lives better for being a part of it not making their lives harder or worse or more complex. Sometimes people do that. Heal, heal, heal. <laughs> like, and that's how we heal. We learn. We look at who we were, right? Otherwise, we're constantly just going to recreate the same broken, problematic things. Another really important step to heal from a breakup is not bashing your ex or letting your friend bash your ex. That's what people think maybe we need to hear, them talk smack. But that's not honest. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we do need to hear that. But I'm assuming it's healthy adults that were in a healthy relationship. We realized it wasn't going to work anymore and we lovingly ended. I know it's a, a high assumption for a lot of you. We don't tend to date from our maturity or end relationships from our maturity. I have to assume and expect that. It's my job to keep the bar high for all of y'all. So we don't want to talk smack on our exes because not only is that a way to keep bringing them in, we're having a great day. Someone brings up our ex or we do. Now we're back in the relationship and we're feeling bad. That's not the goal. But endless conversations about how crappy or shitty keeps us trapped in feeling bad. Also, we want to leave our hurt feelings off social media. Stop blasting them. Because not only will this not help you heal or help you move forward, it markets you as someone who can't handle their hurt feelings. It's a red flag for other people. You're showing them, I'll do this to you if you let me down or hurt me. I don't manage my feelings well. I'm dysregulated. That's not good. Now, also, this whole idea of how much time we need to wait before we start dating or having sex again isn't honest or real. The length of time Okay, between the past or prior relationship and a new one doesn't determine its health or sustainability. There is no promise length of time that will make it better. Okay, studies show over and over that getting right back into a new relationship can sometimes be good for our self-worth and self-esteem and remind us that we have options and that we are desirable. It can be healing and good for us to see that. Okay, there's no magical length of time that promises what the next relationship will be like. What does is if we help work on ourselves and we have more awareness of who we want to be and who we don't want to be by learning from the past, really taking that inventory. Because we do want to hold space for a future relationship, there's more to come most likely, right? And also maybe even with that person, and I know that's confusing to some people, but maybe you romantically get back together, maybe not, but friendship with an ex can be such 
a beautiful gift because you get to have in your life all the things, the non-romantic, the non-sexual things that you liked and valued and connected over. That's what brought you together. You get to still maintain that, possibly, if you do the work. It's a sign of health to be friends with our exes. We tend to see it as opposite. We tend to be threatened by that, right, or confused. But it means that the person honors relationality, but also it says that they leave lovingly, right? They're not toxic. And that's what we want to look for. One of the most important things we can ask or find out about when we're trying to get to know someone new is how did their last relationship end? You can ask that. Are they still friends with their ex? Listen to the way they talk about their ex or how it ended. Well, it's what they're going to probably do to you. How healthy are they? Assess them based on that. Truly. It's a huge one that tells us a lot. I love asking that. You know, and if they're like, oh, well, it's a good person, but wasn't right for me. You know, if I saw them, I'd, I'd be happy and hope they're doing well. That's a good sign. But if it's a lot of crap talk and a lot of blaming and a lot of anger and a lot of hateful things, it's like, yikes. Why did you stay in it that long? Why'd you let it get that bad? Why did you do what you did? <laughs> Why still holding on? It's a lot of red flags. We learn a lot by asking about prior relationships. I know, it's a tough one. And then finally, just because you're hurt or you're let down or you're feeling bad, that doesn't excuse your bad behavior. And no matter what your partner did or said, what you do, you are held accountable to. And it doesn't make it okay because they might have done or said something bad or problematic. You want to lovingly leave and work your way out just like you worked your way in. Lovingly, right? You got to take care of yourself. Bring in new people, new experiences. That's often how we get through the loss of something is stepping into new novel things, deciding who we want to be next. What do we now have space for, right? Getting back out and staying out in the world, continuing to participate, letting the pain be there, letting the memories be reminded, letting the feelings be attached. But we keep moving forward, knowing that there's a lot ahead, identifying and focusing on other important areas of our life, maybe that had gotten ignored. And again, more importantly, deciding who are we going to be next? What do I want to remember to not do again? And therapy can help with that, all of that, you know? All right, y'all, that is how to heal and get through a breakup. I know it's tough. So it's one of the hardest things some of us will have to go through. Uh, coming up next, going to be doing some DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, drop them in our Loveline DMs. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Alrighty, righty, righty, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alexis. I've kind of been thinking about how my high school years went. Oh, <laughs> that's not always good. School's a tough time. School's a tough institution to have to survive in. Not a lot of people feel empowered over at school. And school tends to be very punitive. Um, and I realized that I wasn't necessarily a nice person to be around. Bam. Go kind on yourself, though. When we look back, you know, you were going through your own struggles. I'm glad you're able to acknowledge that you might not have been very kind. But what else? What was going on for you, you know, that maybe had you feeling or acting that way? I'm 21 now, and I wanted to ask you if you think it's worth reaching back out to people and apologize, or should I let it go? God, it's a good question, <clears throat> and I like where your thinking's at. Um, and it really depends because a couple things. Everyone else was a child as well. You know, when we're in high school, we're all kids doesn't mean anyone's behavior is acceptable. We're not letting people off the hook. But I can think back to my high school years, things I've done and things people did to me. And they're adults now. And I realize a lot of them wouldn't do that now. And they wouldn't be okay with what they've done. And that's enough for me, right? Knowing that they're better and that I'm better. 
And sometimes that's got to be our healing. It's just being better, not enacting that now on someone else. And that, that with that, we let it go. And this comes up with people even in recovery that do 12 steps when it's about making amends. We don't make amends when it might disrupt someone else's life or even make ours harder. The purpose is healing for us and them. I mean, we're essentially doing for our own healing. That is what the steps are about, our own sobriety. But then it's also about the others, but not to the detriment of harming someone. And some people in the program, their healing is just knowing what they did and never doing it again and being better, you know, and that's enough. And so I don't know they want to go back and disrupt their lives. They might not even remember it or relate to it or even care. We've moved on. And I think maybe it's better moving on. Just be better. Because again, to go back and to call it out and open it up, uh, these people might not have that kind of relationship with you anymore. They have other important things going on in their lives. It could be very odd to them or disruptive. I know I don't need to hear from anyone from high school or college apologizing. I've moved on. I've forgiven people. I know that we were young. We were stupid. We did the best we could. You know, um, accountability can be meaningful though. I'm not disregarding that trauma informed is that a lot of people need accountability to move on, but we never know who they might be. Um, so I don't know what you mean to what extent by not the nicest. If you really deeply did truly harm someone, then yes, maybe reach out and take accountability. That might be the healing they need as a victim. But if you're talking about the normative problem, problemness that is just being a kid in high school, let it go and move on and just be better. I, I like the healing I'm hearing and you just reflecting back and holding yourself accountable, like that's pretty powerful. A lot of people don't, you know, but just move forward in your life and be better. I mean, that's what we have to often do. You know, I say that even about relationships. When we look back at the ones we've been in, we can learn about who we were, who we want to be again, who we don't want to be again, what parts of ourselves we want to never open up to, what parts of ourselves we want to live from, what do we want to bring forward? And that's the, that's the healing. That's the transformation. So I like the consciousness. I like your self-reflection, but most likely it's been forgotten. Again, I'm assuming it's a lower level stuff. God knows though. Um, and just let it be. Yeah. Because I know I work with some people where people down the road have circled back and it actually was something they weren't welcoming or weren't wanting, you know? Um, uh, yeah. You, Cause a lot of us don't have relationships with these people anymore. And, and some people actually have re-narrated their history and you might be disrupting that where some people moved on and they've kind of buried it and, and they like it that way and they don't want to open it up and remember and they like who they are now and they're feeling really good and confident now and you'd be forcing and bringing them back to a time that maybe wasn't great for them. You know, it's really hard to know what that stuff meant for someone, what history meant for someone, what high school might have meant for someone. And so be cautious about that. Um, some people have been good about forgetting and that's been part of their journey. Not everyone wants to remember or open things up, you know, for some people that's how they've gotten through the trauma. I know it's counterintuitive to what some people think trauma work is, but sometimes it is about moving forward and building on building a bigger life and just managing triggers and memories. You know, it depends on the person, depends on the situation. But again, most importantly, I like that you're being self-reflective. More people need more of that. You know, a lot of people just push forward being the same person reenacting the same problematic stuff. So good on you. All right, y'all, that is our show. If you want to check out past episodes, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my little face, click on it. Past episodes will be there. And again, if you have a question for us, please drop it in our DMs on our Loveline IG page and producer Alex will get it to me and I will answer your DM on the show. Otherwise, please focus your weekend on self-care. Tons of joy and pleasure tons of rest and we'll see you on monday as always thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night